It's amazing to me that two people can look at one thing and see something completely different. Now, I've got two pictures I want to show you, and these are pictures of two people who are seeing the same thing, but it's funny how perception changes, right? So hit that first picture for me. This right here is a picture of a dude stranded on an island, and he sees somebody coming up, and he says, boat, it's a good day. And then the guy in the boat sees the guy on land, and he goes, land, I'm no longer stranded at sea. Now, this picture, it's kind of sad because both of them are in awful positions, but perspective is everything, right? For the guy, he thinks, they both think they're saved, but they're not, which is kind of sad. But let's go to the next one. All right, here's a different perspective. Uh, I did not slap you in the face. I just, I'm sorry, I did not slap you. I just high-fived your face. Now, one of those monkeys has a different perspective as to what happened than the other monkey. We would agree, right? It's perspective. Now, tonight what we're going to talk about is we're going to be talking about perspective and, and how people tend to see things differently. Now, did anybody stay awake last night for the election results? I don't know. You guys are kind of young. I don't know if you're into that. Okay. I, 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 get real, I get real geeked out about election stuff like this. So I was up late. I was watching the election. I was watching the results and all that stuff. And it's funny to me how people in politics can both be looking at one issue and have completely different perspectives, isn't it? It's, it's pretty crazy. I was thinking of a different, bunch of different things you can have different perspectives. Sports, all right? Me and Caleb have different perspectives on the Michigan Wolverines, okay? He loves them. I think they're awful. In fact, I want them to lose. Let's talk about, and guys, if, I mean, if we even want to get really, really serious with it, uh, an unborn baby inside of a, a mother's womb, some people don't think it's a life. We as Christians, we think it is. So again, what, what I want to talk about tonight is um, hopefully going to be a little bit awkward, and that's fine. I like awkward, right? But we're going to be talking about sex, okay? Pay attention. <laughs> all, the, all the guys all of a sudden. All right. But we're going to start our new series today. Go ahead and hit the graphic. This is our new series called Guard the Temple, and it is purity in a culture obsessed with sex. Now, the reason we're talking about this is because Christians and non-Christians tend to have very different perspectives on this topic. We can agree with this, right? Christians tend to see it as something that's reserved for marriage. Non-Christians tend to see it as something that you can just do. Now, tonight, um, we're going we're gonna to talk about these different perspectives. And as a church, as a, as a body of believers who come to church together, we're going to talk about what is the perspective that we should have on sex. And what I thought would be good is if I showed you a definition that I found um, from a non-Christian perspective. And here it is. Uh, there was a video put out by a group called the Children's Television Workshop, and what they did was they put this video out that was used in a lot of sex education classes, and what they did was they defined sex in this uh, video as this, something done by two people to give each other pleasure. That was their definition of sex, something done by two people to give each other pleasure. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I, when I first read that definition, I was like, wow, they're missing a couple things in this definition. Let me read it one more time, and I want you to think. I'm not going to ask you to, to say this out loud, but, but be thinking to yourself, what's missing from this definition? Something done by two people to give each other pleasure. Now, myself, when I, when I hear this definition, I, I think, okay, first off, the word marriage is not in there anywhere. The word family is not in there. The word love isn't in there. The word commitment isn't in there. I mean, these are all words that in my opinion, typically are associated with sex, and it's nowhere in there. These guys treat it as if it's just, just a thing you do, right? Now, 
I want to give you a biblical definition of sex. I think we have this on the screen, do we? Okay, great. Here's the biblical, this is a definition that I think that we can use from Scripture, and here it is. Sex is a unifying act between a man and a woman that glorifies God within the commitment of marriage. Let me say that again. If you can write that down, I would write that down, okay? Or text yourself, ready? Sex is a unifying act between a man and a woman that glorifies God within the commitment of marriage. Now, here's why this definition is important, is because God created everything, including sex. He is the one who set up what it should be. And this definition right here, I think, pretty solidly tells us what it is. This, now, would we agree that this definition is a lot different than the definition I read you a couple minutes ago, right? Something just between two people that brings pleasure. No, no, no. It is a unifying act between a man and a woman, in this case, a husband and a wife, that glorifies God within the commitment of marriage. So we're going to break all of that down tonight, uh, uh, this whole month, actually. Uh, next week, I'm really excited about next week. If you guys can come, next week what we're going to do is we're going to split off, and the guys are going to go one place, the girls are going to go another, and any questions that you have, I want you to come with questions, okay? If there's something that you're just like, hey, you know, maybe you didn't grow up in church and you have legitimate questions, I, it's funny because I feel like church is seen as a place where you don't talk about things like this, but this is a huge cultural thing. This is a huge thing in our society, and the worst thing that we can do as a church is not address it at all. And so what I want you guys to do is next week when you come and we, and we split off into our groups, be thinking, are there any questions that you have about what the Bible says about sex, about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, and we're going to split off and we're going to teach you guys, uh, hopefully Nick is going to lead us in a conversation about how to set up some guardrails, how to set up some, some things that will help you stay pure, okay? So with that being said, this whole month we're going to be discussing really three areas that, that I see to be damaged by the way our culture views sex. Number one is the body, number two is your mind, and number three is your heart. Our society, based on how they view sex, their perception of sex has really damaged a lot of people, including young people like yourselves, has really damaged a lot of people's bodies, minds, and hearts. And tonight, we're going to specifically talk about the body, okay? So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in, and, um, and we'll go from there, all right? Let's bow our heads. Dear God, thank you so much for this day. I'm just so grateful that we're here. And God, as we, as we talk about this topic that tends to be a little awkward, I just pray that, that we can search Scripture, that we can find the truth of about sex that you talk about in the Bible, Lord. And, and God, I just pray that we can see it for what it is. It's this beautiful gift that you've given us as long as it's done correctly, God. So Lord, I pray again that everybody in here, that we can um, just leave here with an attitude of wanting to live pure lives for you. God, we love you. We thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So uh, Meryl, this will be 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. All right, we're good? <laughs> Got it. All right. Got it. Okay. Nope. I'm not saying it again. All right. We're going to read this together. Okay. Now this is on the screen, so read along with me. Okay. What? What? It's a... Don't mess with me, guys. All right. Here we go. First Corinthians 6. Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen. Uh, follow along with me. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body or her own body. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. I love this passage. And what we're going to do is we're going to break this passage down. We're going to talk about what this means because we, we actually kind of previewed this a little bit on Sunday morning at church. And we, 
we talked about what it means for us to be a temple of God. Now, what I want to do is I kind of want to set the context for you. Does anybody know who wrote the book of 1 Corinthians? Any idea? Any idea? Yes, sir. Paul. If, if it's a New Testament book and I ask you that question and you say, Paul, probably 90% of the time you're right, okay? So, yeah, Paul wrote this book. Um, th- this book was, it's, it's a letter written to the church in Corinth, which is where the name Corinthians comes from. Now, Paul would write these letters, which they call epistles, and, and what they would do is um, these letters would travel to these churches that Paul would write, and a lot of times they would have instruction on how to live godly lives, what to do, what not to do, how to glorify God. And when he was writing to the church in Corinth, um, the, Corinth was a booming place. This was a place where I was reading in a commentary earlier, and he was saying that Corinth was a place that you could kind of compare to like, like Chicago or New York City right when it was starting to get big. Everybody was moving to Corinth. There was tons of different diversity of people, tons of different kinds of people groups. And what happens is when, when you start to bring a bunch of people like that together, your culture is formed and things start to change. Now, when he was, the, after the, by the way, that's my baby crying in the back. That's my fourth kid. Everybody turn around. Here, hold James up for me real quick. You see him? That's my boy right there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, James, keep your mouth closed. I'm preaching. All right. <laughs> Shut that kid up. No, I'm just kidding. I love him. All right. Let's move on. So uh, one more thing, one more thing. When, when Paul was writing this epistle to the church in Corinth, the church was only five years old, meaning that the church wasn't there that long. And so I, I don't know if you guys have ever been around new Christians. Some of you guys are, are new Christians, and some of you might not be Christians. I'm glad you're here. But for the people who are new Christians, you, you realize that it does take some time to get to know what Scripture says. It, it takes time to kind of learn what the Bible says about certain topics. And, and, and what we see here is that the problem with the church in Corinth is it was a young church. It was only about five years old. But these guys, based on that passage we just read, they were following sexual practices of the culture, which was sexually immoral. It, it, remember, he talks about sexual immorality. So I gave you the definition of what sex should be, what it is. Let me give you what sexual immorality is. Ready? And I think this is on the screen as well. Sexual immorality is any sexual act done outside the boundaries of marriage. Now, that right there should, should clarify a couple things for you guys. So if you ever have this question where you're just like, how far is too far? If it's a sexual act and you're not married, you're going too far, okay? That is sexual immorality. Now, um, when I was reading about Corinth, it was funny to me because I don't feel like Corinth is much different than our times today. When, I, when you look at it, Corinth was overly sexualized. It was this, this massively over-sexualized culture where where when, when I read about that, I just, I, I look and I go, man, that's kind of like America is today. Wouldn't you guys agree that we live in a culture that is, I would say it's oversexed, it's over the body image and all that stuff. And so what I want to do is we're, since we're talking about bodies tonight, I want to talk about two lies that our culture has convinced us of specifically about our bodies. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the mind, and then once we get back from Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about the heart. But specifically, let's talk about the body, okay? So here's lie number one, okay? And this is on the screen as well. Uh, this is lie number one. The body is not moral or significant. The body is not moral or significant. Now, um, one of my favorite political commentators is a guy named Ben Shapiro, okay? I love Ben. Does anybody listen to Ben Shapiro? Okay, cool. I say he's my second favorite Jew, other than Jesus Christ himself, okay? But Ben Shapiro, who's a Jewish guy, all right, he does, on his show, what he does is he will, he has a couple of sayings. One is, facts don't care about your feelings. But one of my, one of my favorite ones that he says is, two things can be true at once. 
And what you see, especially in politics, is that you've got guys in politics who are doing great stuff, like, uh, policy-wise, but then they say really dumb stuff. And then people are just like, he said a lot of dumb stuff. Throw away all of his policy. And a guy like Ben Shapiro would be like, well, hold on now. Two things can be true at once. Yeah, what he said was really stupid, but it's a good policy. And so what I want us to do is we're, I want to focus tonight on, uh, at least for this first point here, is that two things can be true at once. And I'm going to read both of them. And they, they appear as if they contradict each other, but they don't. Okay, so here's the first one. Ready? Our culture overvalues the body. That's the first point, okay? Do you agree with that, by the way? Do you guys agree with that? I, I think this is true mostly because of, think about it. Think about the fitness industry, the clothing industry, the, um, the dietary industry. There's a lot of stuff that teaches us about the body or convinces us on changing your body and stuff. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad, okay? I think it's good to diet. I think it's good to eat good. I think it's good to wear nice clothes, you know, if, you, if you're able to. But at some point, the culture focuses so much on it. I was watching a commercial the other day, and uh, this, it, it, well, it was a while ago, but, but this lady comes in, and she's just, she's very inappropriately dressed, is what I'll say. And you're wondering, you're like, okay, what is this a commercial for? And then you see her pop a Tic Tac in, and she's like, buy Tic Tacs. And I was like, what? What does that have to do with a bikini? This doesn't make any sense, all right? But because people know that the body sells and stuff like that, they, there's this overemphasis on the body. So that's point number one, is that our culture overvalues the body. Here's the second point. And remember, two things can be true at once. Not only does our culture overvalue the body, our culture has devalued the body. Now, that appears to be a contradiction, right? If you look at it, you go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, they value the body, but then they devalue the body. And here's what I mean by that. This is a quote by a guy named Peter Singer out of Princeton. And he says, sex raises no unique moral issues at all. Decisions about sex may involve considerations of honesty, concern for others, prudence, and so on. But there's nothing special about sex in this respect, for the same could be said of decisions about driving a car. Now, let me, let me kind of reiterate what that means. Rhea, I loved your facial expression there. She goes, oh, he said that? Here's what, here's what this guy is saying. He's saying, guys, what you do with your body equates to what you do with your car when you get in and drive it to work. Okay which is a crazy statement. That's a crazy statement. This guy has no value on the body. He looks at it as just, just, just a body. There's nothing to it. Now, that quote claims that, that our bodies have no moral significance, but guys, that's not true. So what I want to do, I want to review what Paul says, and I want to show you that, remember, we're, we're talking body, mind, and heart. Today, we're talking specifically body. Your body is very significant, okay? It's very significant. What you do with your body is very, very significant. And let me prove it to you. Let's look at verse 18 and 19 again from that passage. Meryl, that would be 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 19. All right, let's look at it, okay? He says, let me find it, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Verse, verse 19, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Now, I'm going to tell you why I love that verse. I love that verse because it's telling us, hey, this body that you have, this body that you use daily, it's not yours. It's a gift from God. What gives you the right to do whatever with your body, right? Now, um, if you, who was here Sunday? Anybody at church Sunday? We had a couple I know here. All right. On Sunday, we talked about King Solomon. And King Solomon, back all the way in 1 Kings, back in the Old Testament, 
King Solomon was able to, finally, after Israel had been uh, in battle and war for all these years, King Solomon was finally able to build a temple for God. And does anybody remember what the purpose of him building the temple for God was? Who is here Sunday that can answer that? Does anybody remember? Were you all sleeping? Probably. All right. Does anybody remember? What was it? Chuck Norris is never the answer for a question that I'm going to ask during a message, okay? But no. <laughs> all right. Anybody else? All right. What, yes, ma'am. Right. So that God could be with the people. He Essentially, he built this temple to glorify God. Solomon says, I'm finally building this temple to honor the name of the Lord, and this is where God is going to dwell. Now, based on this scripture here, it's, it's, this, it's a crazy idea because back in the day, God was in a place. He was in the temple, okay? And if you wanted to worship God, you would go to the temple. That's where you would worship God, and then you would leave and go about your day. What Paul is saying here is that when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the dead and he ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came after Jesus and no longer do we have to go specifically to a place to worship God. We, should, we can worship God anywhere now. Do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The temple was built to house God. And, and Paul is saying, hey, now that the Holy Spirit is here and he lives inside of you, you are a temple of God. Which is a pretty cool thing. It's a pretty awesome thing, right? So when, when he says things like, you're a temple, your body is a temple, whenever you do something sexually immoral, you're sinning against your body, which is not your own. This is God's temple. I don't know about you, but that verse sounds like our bodies are pretty significant. Wouldn't you agree? What we do with our bodies is very significant. All right? So let's go down to verse 20. All right, verse 20 says, and I love this verse right here, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. You were bought with a price. Does anybody know what that's referencing when it says you were bought with a price? Uh, let me call somebody else. Yes, ma'am. 100%. Jesus dying. Now, I got a real quick story. I, was, I, I, had a, I knew a kid who was in our youth group actually a, a little while ago, and his dad would work multiple jobs for years. And the whole reason he did it was to save up money so he could send his son to college. So he, he works years and years and years, saves up money, saves up money, and he sends him to this really nice college. The kid goes to college makes friends with people that he shouldn't be hanging out with, starts dating a, a girl that he shouldn't be hanging out with, and then within one semester, couldn't even last more than one semester, he's, getting, he's failing classes, and he calls his dad, and he's like, hey, I want to drop out. Now, the mom came up to me, and she was distraught. She was like, I can't believe this. Look at what my husband did. He went through all this time. He sacrificed hanging out with us so that he could raise and save up all this money so that he could go to college. And she's just bawling. She goes, why would, he, why would he just throw that gift back in, in, in his face like that? And in the same way, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, was beaten, he was mocked, he was tortured, he had to carry his own cross, he was crucified on a cross, and he did all of that for you guys. He did all of that for us. And Paul essentially is saying, hey, you were bought at a price, you know? Jesus did all of that for you. How can you do that stuff with your body? based on what Jesus did for you. So guys, that's one of the main points I want you to remember today is that your body holds a huge significance. Do not let culture convince you that your body is just a body that you can do whatever you want with it. You were bought with a price. This is why our theme is called Guard the Temple. We're trying to teach you guys, hey, you're a temple of Christ. You're a temple of God. Guard it. Uh, put that picture. Look at that. I put a lock on the front, all right? That's how serious we are about this, all right? Guard it, okay? <laughs> all right? Guard the temple. Now, let's go to lie number two, and then we'll kind of finish up here in a minute. 
This is lie number two. Go ahead and put that up on the screen. Sex is merely physical. Sex is merely physical. Now, guys, this is the biggest lie about sex that our culture throws out there, okay? Right, please write that down. Here's a quote. This is a quote from um, an author named Naomi Wolf, and she was interviewing some students. And I want you to listen to how this girl views her body, okay? This, this is, Rhea, you're, you're, you're going to make another face, okay? Because this, this one's crazy, all right? One student said, in regards to treating your body and, and sexual interactions, she says, we are so tightly scheduled. We've got so much going on. Why get to know someone first? It's a waste of time. If you can hook up, you can just get your needs met and get on your way. Goodness gracious. All right? When I read that, I was like, man, guys, this is not, I, I know we kind of, I know I'm kind of drawn aback by that, but this, this is popular cultural thought right now. This is how people think, okay? Let me read that one more time. We are so tightly scheduled. Why get to know someone first? It's a waste of time. If you hook up, you can just get your needs met and get on your way. It's almost like taking your car to the car wash, get your car wash, and then go on your way, all right? It's crazy, okay? Now listen, I'm going to show you how sex is not merely physical. What this girl here says, I, I, I pray for this student because I, I feel these are not her thoughts. This was taught to her. This is stuff that she's learned from culture. And, and so I, I want to show you a verse. Go ahead and uh, flip over. Actually, you don't have to flip there. It's on the screen. But this is Genesis 2.24. 2.24. Genesis 2.24. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't, I can't refrain. All right. Here's what this verse says. Ready? This is why a man leaves his father and his mother, and he bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother, he bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Now listen, that verse right there, I I, that's a great verse because it tells you eventually, as a parent, I love it that my kids are going to be leaving us and bonding with their spouse someday, okay? It's, a, it's an awesome thing. I was like, ooh, empty nest someday, all right? But the, this, this is part of it. Eventually, you guys, not everybody will get married, and that's fine. There, there's a place for that. But a lot of you, chances are you'll get married. You will leave your family. You will bond with your wife. And, and don't, don't overlook the terminology here. They will become one flesh. That statement right there, they will become one flesh, means so much more than just a physical interaction. It means that they become one. The moment you get married and you and your spouse have sex, you guys become one flesh, okay? Now, what I want to do is I want to show you, uh, there, there is science behind this, okay? Believe it or not, it's funny to me that, you know, the Bible is looked at as a non-scientific thing, yet they keep finding things sci scientifically where they're just like, oh, wow, yeah, the Bible looks like it's right on that. So when we talk about, you know, this whole idea that, that sex is just a physical thing, there is science to prove that it's way more than just physical. There's a lot of emotion that goes into this. So listen to this. There's a, uh, there's a hormone out there called um, oxytocin, okay? Now, oxytocin, it's, <laughs> do you know about that? Oh, yeah, you're a counselor. You know all this stuff. All right. But oxytocin, I, I first heard about this when my wife had our first child. Now, uh, there is a bonding stage that happens when a newborn is born. What will happen is the mother will take the newborn and she begins to breastfeed the child. And what happens is this hormone of oxytocin will flow through the mother into the kid in the milk. And what will happen is it's known as the bond, or is that what it's the bonding? No, the attachment hormone is what it's called. What it does, this oxytocin, when released, connects you, connects a mother to that baby in a way that mothers are willing to jump in front of a car to save that kid. 
They're willing to do almost anything to save their child because of this hormone that was released when they were first there. Now, what's funny is science just all of a sudden said, oh, man, after doing some research, guess when else oxytocin is released? During sex, okay? When a man and a woman have sex, oxytocin is released, and there is a connection there. There's a bond there. Straight, chemically speaking, it's almost as if God planned it this way. Wow. What a crazy concept, right? That God, the creator of everything, had a plan for sex, and he does. So girls especially, okay, girls especially, it says that that oxytocin releases a lot more with girls, and they connect and bond to guys, and guys too, likewise. But guys, God, remember, remember that definition I gave you. Sex is a unifying thing between a man and a woman to glorify God within the commitment of marriage. God created sex to be unifying. He did not create it to just be some random physical thing that you do just, just for need, okay? It's so much more than that. Um, there's a quote, there, another quote. This is from uh, a girl named Lauren Winner at Duke University. And she says, um, I, I think this is great. She says, don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? It's a cool quote, right? There's, she's saying, hey, you can say with your mouth all you want, but your body is connecting to this person, okay? I want to show you something. This is an illustration, actually, that I'm going to credit to my wife. She made the, hold on. There we go. I don't want to feedback again. Okay. Now, I know you guys have seen the videos. I know we used to show these a long time ago. Whenever for camp videos, a church called Saddleback had this video where a guy would come and he'd run pink and blue all over himself, and he'd say, no purpling, meaning no guys and girls can hook up at camp, right? And so what, what we're going to do is we've got a blue heart for the boys, okay? You've got a, a pink heart for the girls, okay? And, and, and what happens when, when a man, <laughs> when a mommy and a daddy love each other, okay? <laughs> we'll dive into it this way. But what happens when you get married is you become one flesh, okay? Now, what I did earlier was I glued these together, and I want you to think about Marriage, and especially sex, this glues you to your spouse, okay? Now, what happens is a lot of people that are promiscuous and they have sex before marriage and stuff, what you're doing, whether you know this or not, okay, you are connecting yourself to people, and you're giving a part of yourself to people or to, to, this, to these people that you're sleeping with, okay? Whether you know that or not. And a lot of times those immediate consequences and those immediate feelings don't happen right away. Sometimes it takes time where you look back and you go, man, I'm broken. I'm, I'm distraught about this. Now, listen, these two I glued together with Elmer's glue, all right? Now, here's what happens. When, when, a, when a man and a woman, they consummate a relationship, and then they decide to, to split and go separate ways, what happens is you can't just split equally. Like, like look at this. Do you see there's, there's, there's damage here, you know? A part of you has gone here, a part of you stays here, okay? And, and, and the, the reason this illustration is good is because the more you do this with more people, more and more little pieces of yourself stay with that person, you know? You, I, I don't want you to believe the lie that sex is merely physical. It's so much more than that, okay? Now, I want to read you, I want to read you something else. This is from a lady named Dr. Miriam Grossman. It, it, it's funny because when you treat sex as just physical, all you tend to do is focus on the, the physical negatives. For instance, in schools, they don't teach you about the, the emotional side of it, what happens when you sleep around and then you just go about your business. But they do tell you about STDs. They tell you about pregnancy. They tell you about all these things, right, because these are physical things that can happen to the body. Listen to this quote. 
There was a freshman girl named Olivia who was in a deep depression over her first sexual encounter with a boy who dropped her right afterwards. He dumped her right afterwards. And in tears, she goes up to this doctor and she says, why, doctor, do they tell you how to protect your body from STDs and pregnancy, but they don't tell you what it does to your heart? Okay? People will tell you that sex is physical. They'll tell you that there's nothing more than it's just a little business interaction between two people. But you are giving part of yourself. So many people have had their hearts damaged because they experience sex differently than the way God has designed. Okay? Let's finish off with this. There's a... Um, uh, God, in, in his greatness, has, has really given us great things in life. You know, I, I try to think about the, the good things that God has blessed us with. Food, love me some food. I'm so glad that God gave us food. Um, nature, I love walking through nature, and I'm just like, thanks, God. I like these trees, right? This is nice. And uh, <laughs> what's that? The Buckeyes. God has given us Ohio State in his infinite wisdom. And but, but the thing about it is every good thing that God gives us, he gives us with boundaries set in place. There's nothing that God gives us that he says, you have free and complete reign to do whatever you want. He says, no, 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 there's boundaries in place. Now, people tend to think boundaries are negative, and people tend to, this is why Christianity gets a bad rap, is when you say, yes, you can have sex, you can have sex, but you need to wait till you're married. That's when you can have it. This is the boundaries that God has set in place. And a lot of people who aren't Christian, they don't get that. They go, whoa, man, don't hold me back, bro. Don't hold me. I don't know why he's a stoner, but apparently he is. But he's like, don't hold me back, man. I, I, I want to be able to sleep with as many people as I can. I want to do whatever I can, right, with, with whoever I want to. And God says, no, no, no. I've created you a certain way. If you want to experience sex for the greatness that it is, do it within the context that I have set up, within the boundaries that I've set up. Now, it, it's funny because I remember when I first got married, uh, I lost a lot of freedoms when I first got married. Actually, since I've been married, I've lost a lot of freedoms. And it's not a bad thing, okay? There's some, like, for instance, uh, here's a freedom that, um, well, we'll tell you what, let me give you some other boundaries first. Like, when you think sports, right, imagine if you did sports that had no boundaries on it, right, where you could just do whatever you wanted in a football game. That wouldn't be fun to watch. At least I don't think it would, okay? Imagine, here's a good one, driving, okay? Imagine if we had no boundaries on driving, and we're just like, hey, driving's a great thing, six-year-old, go for it. You'd be like, this is crazy. No, you need boundaries. Guys, relationships, and this is what I want to talk about. When me and my wife first got married, we had this, this very clear agreement that the moment we said I do, we were committing ourselves to each other, which means that all of my sexual needs, all of her sexual needs, we would fulfill with each other. We weren't going to go anywhere else. We weren't going to go just hook up with random chicks or dudes and just do whatever. This, this, we were committed to each other. I wasn't going to have any other girlfriends. She wasn't going to have any other boyfriends. We were committed to each other. Now, some people might look at that and say, wow, that's, well, man, she's holding you down. And I'm like, no, 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 no. When you experience sex in the context that God created it, it is a great, great thing, Okay. And this is why boundaries are so important. And let me say this real quick. The biggest thing about sex is that it, sex without commitment is worthless, okay? You need the commitment. And I don't just mean the commitment of, hey, we're dating. We can have sex. No, no, no. I'm talking about marriage, okay? That is the commitment. And here's the thing. Girls, let me talk to the girls. Every girl look at me real quick, okay? I've got, I got a special place in my heart for the girls because my firstborn is a young lady, all right? And I think boys are pieces of crap, typically. So I'm just kidding. I am one. I am one. I can say that. But girls, let me just say this. Girls, if a guy is pressuring you to have sex, 
He is not committed to you, okay? He is not committed to you. If he's pressuring you to have sex, he is not committed to you. If a boy is truly committed to you, he will wait until marriage. That's what he'll do. If he's truly committed, he will say, you know what? I love you so much. I am so committed. I'm going to wait and do it the way God designed it to be. Guys, all the guys look at me, all right? Girls look somewhere else. All right, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Guys, you guys, there is huge pressure on guys nowadays to, to, to tally up your number of how many girls you sleep with, okay? I want to encourage you, it, it's not worth it. I have met so many guys, so many guys who in college, they do this, and then once they get out, they just go, man, I wish I could have saved that gift from my spouse, my wife. Guys, I'll be honest, me and my wife, we were both virgins when we got married. Neither one of us had sex outside of marriage. And I mean, I only know sex within the boundaries of marriage, and it's, it's been pretty awesome. I, I really like it, Okay. And we'll stop it there. All right, let's keep going. So <laughs> I do have four kids, guys, so keep that in mind, all right? Let me say this last thing, and then we'll be done. Let me say last thing. Pull it together, guys. Pull it together. All right, here we go. Last thing. Um, <laughs> last thing. I'm one minute overdue. Okay, here we go. You might not know this, but society has set out a script for you guys, okay? Society has, our, our culture has they have a plan for all of you guys, and it involves you being very promiscuous, meaning you, have, you sleep with as many people as you want. And if you don't think this is true, watch any movie, TV show, advertisement, social media. You'll see it's scattered with sexual content because they want to get you doing that stuff. And one thing that I want you guys to be thinking about is the best way to rebel, the best way to kind of stick it to the man is to stay pure. Reject the script that our society is writing for you, Okay. Don't, don't buy into it. Say, you know what? I, I am going to stand up. And, and what I want you guys to do, all right, is, is be thinking to yourself, how do I guard the temple? How do I guard the temple? Because the good thing is, you know, that, that temple there, it's locked in this picture. But eventually, you get to unlock it and let your spouse in, okay? You and your spouse get to experience the unity and the oneness that God created from the very beginning of time. Do you know that the first, the first relationship in existence was Adam and Eve? It was man and woman. If God has called you to be married, okay, I, I, I want to encourage you, wait, wait, wait. You will not regret it, I promise. Let me pray for you guys. Go ahead and bow your heads. Dear God, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for everybody that's here, God. And Lord, this is, uh, it's obviously not a topic that is the easiest to talk about, God, but, but Lord, it is a topic that definitely affects everyone in this room whether we have friends who are going through stuff, whether, whether there are people in this room who are making decisions right now that don't line up with the context of what the Bible says about sex. God, my prayer is that if there are people in this room, God, who have saved themselves, God, give them courage to stay strong. Give them the ability to, to guard the temple, God. And God, for the people in this room who have given themselves to somebody, who've messed up before, that have had sex outside of marriage, God, you love them. There is nobody in this room, God, who has done something so bad that you won't forgive them for it, God. So, Lord, my prayer tonight is that if there's people in here who, who need that, uh, that, that strength to endure, to guard the temple, speak to their hearts. Give them that courage. And, God, maybe for the people in this room who have messed up, God, give them the ability to say, you know what, starting right now, I'm going to guard the temple and save it for my future spouse. I'm going to save sex for my spouse, God. 
Lord, we are so grateful for how you continue to bless us. And God, I just pray that we uh, can have a good rest of the night. We love you. We thank you. We praise in your name. Amen.